This episode of U-Turn is sponsored by Electric Pulp. Electric Pulp is a full-service digital agency specializing in smart, modern solutions for web and mobile. I'll tell you more about them later in the podcast. This episode of U-Turn is part two of my conversation with Sam Means of the band The Format and the company Hello Merch. In this episode, we dig into Hello Merch and talk about how we got it started, uh, his clothing line Hello Apparel, how he manages to keep the company growing year over year and other business-related topics. We also talk about his upcoming solo album and some random music stuff, as well as the benefits of living every day with the knowledge that whatever you are doing today could be gone tomorrow. That's pretty interesting. Thanks for listening. So the band ends in 2008, and you kind of alluded to it earlier, you don't have anything to do. Um, were you in a position financially where you didn't have to do anything for a little while? I mean, Dog Problems sold 70,000 records or something I saw. You guys self-released it. I'm sure you did okay on some of those tours. Or did you feel like you had to start doing something right away? Um, I was pretty smart with what... I mean, we didn't make... <clears throat> we definitely didn't make a ton of money, Uh Cause we had kind of a lot of overhead too, you know, like we, all the guys in the band, we had them on salary. It was oh, like, sure. like a company. So when we weren't touring, which wasn't often uh, at that time, you know, everyone's still kind of getting paid. Everyone's on retainer. Everything's going down. We had the, you know, those buses are pricey. So we were at, you know, we were self-funding everything at that point and it was pretty insane. Luckily we had, we sold a lot of merch and stuff like that. So we would get, you know, we didn't take a salary. So after a couple months of dog problems, you know, we recouped that record pretty quick. Um, and I think I remember getting like one pretty okay chunk after not making money for a while and starting to get kind of scared. Like we need to make some money pretty soon. We're not getting paid. This operation is getting kind of out of hand. Sure. Uh, we need to start thinking about some, and then the record recouped and we got some money. So I was, I've always been pretty smart with, with money. And like, I, I think when the band first broke up, I had enough of a buffer to not like totally freak out, but I definitely had the sense that I needed to do something. The same sense that I had when the band before the format broke up, and I just booked studio time without really knowing why, you know, I just, when something's done, I'm just like, I, I have to do something. I can't just sit around. So that's, that's just something that's in me to just need to keep moving. Which it um, seems like maybe you've gotten from your dad a little bit. Yeah, for sure. So that's, that's what that was. I mean, it was like days, like within days I'd already gone down to the corporate commission filed like LLC paperwork. <laughs> It was right. It was right away. Wow. Okay. And actually, sorry, I, I should have covered this earlier, but, um, during the format, you kind of mentioned this, you were doing merchandise, uh, and you were doing some of the design stuff yourself, right? Yeah, I did. I did most, pretty much all of it, I think, except for, I think I did all the format merch, except for maybe like one or two designs ever. Uh, where did you pick up the skill to do that? Is it just self-taught as well? I just, yeah, I just started doing it for our, our, bands like our older bands and i would since i knew websites i would design all the websites for the bands and um before the format got signed i started doing some freelance stuff for like some drive-through bands i think i did steel trains first website and i did some like our expanded t-shirts and a poster and so i i was doing that a little bit on the side 
um, yeah, it was just something I picked up, I guess. I don't know. I, I, that was my first thing that I was really into was art, which I'm, I'm not that good at. I mean, it's all very, everything I do is very childish looking, you know, it's just very simple. Kind of sketchy. Yeah. Well, I think that's why it worked really good for the format. And that's why people still want me to do stuff is because it is kind of its own thing, I guess. It's, or at least it's not as typical. It wasn't as typical then, you know, band shirts were pretty much like, oh, there's another band shirt. And I, I feel like the format kind of had its own clothing line almost, you know, because you could recognize that it was a format shirt because they all had the same vibe. And very unusual uh, use of space, like extending down the shirt, which wasn't necessarily very common. You know, like usually it was like a little graphic at the top or the middle or something, but you had a bunch of designs that kind of used the full space or something like that. Yeah, that was just me trying to do different stuff and trying to get Joe, the screen printer, to learn how to do new stuff. It's like pushing it a little bit. He's like, well, I can't do, you know, like I can't do this, but if you do try this, like maybe we could pull that off. And so I would, yeah, it was, it was all kind of lame and experimental, but, but it, yeah, it definitely created its, it gave it its own little flair. And it, it turned into a thing then. Cause there was that website, the format merch.com, um, that started kind of in the middle of the format where you yes, guys were selling yes, stuff online. Was, yeah. That was the thing my friend was running. So he, yeah, we just, we couldn't get merch on the road. And at some point we were just like, we're not, he, my friend had worked for, um, the band Finch, Drive through brand, I think, right? Yeah. And they had done something similar or very similar. Actually, they were, they started a little, started doing their merch. And so he stopped working with them. And I was just like, dude, we need to do that. Like in that, and especially now that you're not, you're not doing that. And you've kind of been in that role. Like you're the perfect guy for this. Like you can just kind of jump in and do what you're doing for them, but just do it for us. So that's how that got started. Cause we just, we needed things to go smoother than they were going. We had a, so we had a pretty good connection with our fans. Like we were pretty, I don't know. I felt like we did a pretty good job of communicating that we were real people. And so even something as simple as like not getting a shirt when you ordered one really bothered me <laughs> right. a lot. Um, and not being able to, sell a shirt on the road because of some stupid company bothered me even more because I, that's how we were living. Yeah. That's, that's your lifeblood as a band. That's usually. how we were. Yeah. That's how we were like paying the guys, you know? So, um, so yeah, that's how that got started and it ended up being a pretty lucrative, good thing. I mean, it really helped us get through a lot of stuff, like having that, that steady income from merch, um, not only on the road, but, online was, was really good. It helped us. Um, yeah, it really just funded a lot of stuff. And you were also selling merch for other bands at that point, or you started to it at some point, the form at the firm format merch.com. No. Yeah. We were selling like, we started toying with it. Cause yeah, I mean, I think like I said, you know, people had asked us to do it, but we did, we didn't want to commit to it too much. So we would sell, we would just sell some stuff of like, bands that we really loved that we wanted to kind of help out like bands we would take on tour because we just loved them so much and we would sell. So we sold some like, you know, like a Rubens accomplished shirt and their CD or like this band, the Necronauts from Arizona that I just really, I just really love them as people. 
So we sold their CD and uh, one of their shirts. And so we would, and that was also too, just like a thing to try to make it unique. Like we, we would sell, like we would buy CDs wholesale from some distribution company, like our, you know, like somebody might make a playlist right now. We would just buy like 10, uh, neutral milk hotel CDs and just be like, this section is just all the music we love. And like, we want you guys to, you know, you should buy it. Uh, we weren't making any money off of that stuff, but it was just like little things to make it a little bit more unique and not just like, here's our stupid merch store. It's like, here's, here's this thing that's ours. You know, it's, it has our name all over it. We're writing these super elaborate descriptions and like we're taking pictures of Toko, our merch guy, like wearing the shirts and holding the CDs. And it was all very identifiable. Like you, you knew that it was our, our thing. And so even though this wasn't really a full-time thing, obviously this had to be a legit operation. Cause like you said, nobody likes it when they don't get a shirt that they ordered. It was super legit. It's kind of getting to that time. You know, I think I, I remember actually when I was younger, like in high school, placing orders and stuff and, and not getting it for like months or something. Cause you know, the bands didn't have any type of operation nearly as organized as you can do today. And so who's handling all that backend stuff, like the distribution and the shipping and the order management and customer service and all that stuff, uh, since it wasn't a full-time thing for you guys? Yeah. I mean, when we were on the road, it was my friend, Nate Burry. He was just in there every day, um, shipping out orders and answering people's emails and doing all that stuff. And then in between tours, I would go down there every day and help, you know, cause things would. Sometimes things, especially when we were doing like a new record would come out or, um, a new, you know, like a new vinyl or a new seven inch thing, or we reissued snails on vinyl or something like, you know, or the DVD or anything like that, where it was extra work. Um, we would all come, we would just all go down there and start packing orders. And it was, it was like a little ritual when we got home. It's like you go on tour and then we come back, you work in the merch store. <laughs> How did everybody else feel about that? Um, it was pretty much just me. Okay. <laughs> uh, Nate, Nate definitely helped out sometimes. Like he would come help out when it was, um, in some of those bigger things, like when we'd have a big release, but he wasn't down there too much. I mean, again, reiterating kind of what you said, you were the guy who always had to keep moving and this was kind of your thing and it was something you believed in. It seems like. Yeah, it was pretty, I was pretty. I took it pretty seriously, maybe a little too seriously at the time. Did you have any inkling that this would be something you'd end up doing with your life or at least, you know, life till now? No, no. I mean, I've always known, I mean, I guess sort of just because I've always known whether it's concert promotion or merchandise or a band or whatever, that I would be doing something in music you know, graphic design or whatever, any, but I knew it all always somehow be tied into, to the same, uh, world. Um, so yes and no, cause I guess I, you know, I, I knew that this is what I would be doing, but in what capacity, I guess I would have, I would have not guessed running a merch company. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's really weird to me that you, it's like you accidentally ended up going to college multiple times for these things that end up really paying off like little mini careers, basically. And I don't know how you managed to do that. Maybe you didn't, you probably didn't realize you were doing it at the time, but like you get thrown into something and you learn it. And then all of a sudden it turns into something. Yeah. I mean, the only way that I know that I controlled it was just being very passionate about 
making sure I was doing everything I could to get myself into those situations and not get distracted. And I, I didn't want to do anything that would keep me from doing that. So, um, I just got incredibly lucky. Yeah. I mean, all, all those, every little weird Avenue that I've taken has had some kind of success, you know, even if it's just training in my mind, you know, it was, it's all led me to where I am today. Like every piece matters. Yeah. That's, I believe it after hearing this story and hearing these little connections to people, it, it kind of blows my mind that it's worked out the way it has. And so now, sorry, back in the chronology when, where we were, you know, you're saying basically within three days of being done with the format, you're filing the paperwork to start this company. So how did that take off in your mind as being like, okay, this is what I'm going to do now. I just like when things are done, I just, I don't waste time. Like even when, you know, I remember when we were on the last day of recording dog problems, I was like packing up the van in the last couple hours. And Steve was like, what are you doing, man? We might need that amp. <laughs> just being like, <laughs> we're done. He's like, yeah, but maybe, you know, like maybe we'll want to do another take of something, you know, just kind of like, why are you, why are you, do you really have to get out of here that quick? But that's just, that's just another weird little quirk of me. But, um, that's kind of how it was when the format ended. I had like within a couple of days, it was like, okay, I'm going to sell off. We got all this gear. Like, what do you want to keep? What do I get to keep? What do we want to sell? We got to sell our van. We got to sell, you know, we have, we got just in the full on, like dissolving this business mode. Like we have, we still have taxes to pay, you know, like we have a, we have a bus payment or, you know, just random things. Like there's, there was stuff that was left over cause it did happen kind of out of the blue. Um, so there was stuff lingering that need to be needed to be dealt with. And I had, I was the person to deal with it. So, um, I sort of had to, I had to wrap it up and I, and I needed to figure out what to do because it was decided pretty quickly what Nate was going to do. Um, so I, I, I needed something of my own. Did your wife have anything to say about this? I mean, was she, did she see this from the outside as being like, well, duh, you should take this thing, this merch thing you're doing and kind of roll with that. Or she's always, yeah, she trusts me pretty, pretty well. She's always been like that. So she was just like, yeah, dude, whatever, whatever you got to do. I mean, it was already kind of set up from the format stuff. So it wasn't like a, totally, it wasn't like I'm starting a, a bank, right? Like, you know, it was, it was like, Oh, I'm just going to take this that we already do every day. Anyway, I'm just going to do it on a bigger scale. Cause um, that seems to be the key to your story is you're always building on something that you've done previously, or you've got, you've got a base. Yeah. I have a lot of things to fall back on. Cause I have a lot of knowledge on little, a lot of little stupid things. So that's, that's the, that's, the, that's my security blanket where a lot of people have like you know, if this doesn't work out, I have my English major, my English degree, um, and go back and teach or you know, something like that. These little things that I've picked up, I've, I've sort of stored them away in my brain. And I think that this was one of them. It just was the one that made the most sense because the, the infrastructure was already there. It was just so easy to make that transition. I went through a few ideas and it was like, okay, well, this one definitely is going to be the easiest to get going immediately. And so what did it look like when you got it started? 
it was pretty similar. I mean, it was still on the same, uh, like the same framework of, of the format store. It just got rebranded a little bit and it was just like format stuff and a couple other bands. It was pretty small and I never, it was always the whole thing, even until very, very recently, like until this year, every band that we work with, I can tie back to the first band outside of the format. It's, it was all word of mouth. It all just came in through the person before it. So, uh, it was, yeah, it was pretty small for a while for a couple of years. I wasn't making any money, but I was, I, I knew it was, uh, something that needed to exist because there's a lot of really, really horrible merch companies out there. And so I, you know, I run it from the perspective of the band. Like I, I pay the bands every month, you know, they know that they're going to get paid on the first or second of the month. It keeps a lot of them going or, you know, at least helps, you know, to be able to rely on that. I'm super honest about everything. It's very transparent and it's just, you know, everyone knows what's going on and everyone, everyone's essentially running their own store. Um, but I just do it for, you know, I, I take the load off of them. Sure. You're, you're taking on the expert or giving the expertise that they don't necessarily I'm doing need the work, help. but I'm giving, yeah. I mean, some people don't want to have anything to do with it and that's fine too. And they're just like, just do your thing. Let us know, you know, like I don't order, I don't, I don't restock any, you know, it's even down to that. It's like, I won't even restock the store without asking permission from the band to make sure they're cool with it. So it's, it's a, it's a good thing. Like I'm really proud of it and uh, yeah, I don't know. I just think it's like a big family at this point because we are all connected in some way. So it's, it's an interesting thing to be a part of. And so those original bands, those were all bands that you had probably toured with, or you had at least some kind of association with, and that's how it kind of got started. Yeah. It was just like, you know, friends that we, yeah, friends we toured with and, um, yeah, that's, that's really what, I mean, I, I started doing it for Nate when fun started. So like pretty quick, it was like steel train fun, this guy, Jay Brannon, this band Destry that I was part of. And, um, yeah, I, I can't even remember who some of the other earlier ones were. It was, it was all just like some local bands. It was just people I knew. And so what did the operation look like at that point then? I mean, it was it basically just you doing everything or did you have your wife helping you out? Did you hire anybody? Yeah. For the first year and a half, it was just me and my wife would help sometimes, but it was really, it, it didn't really need to be more than me because it wasn't really that, that big. It was pretty easy for me to handle alone because it was about the same size as the format store would have been you know, when my friend Nate was running it. So it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. So what kind of order volume are we talking about? Like just, you know, totally ballpark. Like how many orders were you sending out a day at that point? I don't even remember, but probably like 20 or something, you know, okay, that's pretty manageable for one person. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't bad. And it was, I was sharing for the first few months I was sharing this. I was like subleasing the screen printers, like back room that he wasn't using. And then I moved out of that and I moved into a little 900 square foot, uh, like art space kind of a place. And I ran that alone there for about six months. And then I finally, I got this record label, Sergeant house, um, based at LA. Yep. Good old wars, former a label. Yeah. So they, um, 
when she came on, I got third, I think I got 13 bands in one swoop. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's a big like, change. It was her whole roster. And like most of her bands at that time were pretty small, but she had like, she had RX Bandits, which was a, which they were still doing pretty good at that point. And then she was working with Omar Rodriguez Lopez from the Mars Volta and at the drive-in. He had a label called RLP Records. And so all of his solo records were being run through that as well. And he was, he was putting out like seven records a year, which is pretty at one point, like, you know, three to seven records a year for like three or four years. And so that was, and I, and I, they did a Mars Volta, Mars Volta did a new record and we did the vinyl. And so things started getting kind of crazy and I could not manage it alone. So the whole time I was this guy, Toko, who's the formats merch guy's real name is Tom. I was just like, dude, I want you to work here. I can't pay you, but you know, in the back of your head at some point, just know that I'm going to ask you to come help me. And he's always like, yeah, whatever, dude, whenever. So finally that time finally came and I was able to hire him and it was the two of us for a while through that whole lease of that place. And then I moved into uh, a building with a screen printer and we were sharing, you know, maybe like 4,000 square feet. We each had a couple thousand square feet. So I doubled in size there. And then after like a year there, we, we moved next door into 4,000 square feet and doubled again. And so we each had our own suite. And then after two years there, we tripled our size and that's where we are now. Wow. So that grew pretty fast, basically. Yeah, it's been, got... it's been growing quick. And now I think I have like, you know, it was me, it was me and then me and Tom. And then we had like one person for a couple months, one other person, a three man operation for a while. And then once it hit four, then I started needing people <laughs> pretty bad. So now, now there's probably about, I don't know, like 18 people work there or something. Did, as it starts ramping up then, does it start feeling overwhelming to you as, uh, as the owner operator or whatever, because you're getting into territory, maybe you're not as familiar with like having employees or had you had enough experience with that, with the format and managing the business side of that to make it at least somewhat of a transferable skill? Yeah. I mean, that was another one of those things that I sort of, you know, you know like we've been talking about those skill, like that skill set that I picked up. I definitely picked that up in the format. I was kind of like the, the band ambassador or a manager, I guess, you know, the internal manager. Um, I, you know, any, I was, <laughs> I was HR for the format. Anytime sure, anybody yeah. had a problem, it's like every little thing, you know, kind of got filtered through me and then went to, to the real managers. Um, I suppose, cause you basically had the, what, I don't know how many employees. I mean, you've got the three other guys in the band, right. And then plus, uh, Toko, your merch guy. And then, yeah, I mean, I think we had, by the end, we had like a 12 or 13 person crew. Is that everything. common for a guy in the band to be so involved with that side of it? Or were you pretty unusual? Do you think? I, I feel like there's always, there's definitely always a person like the most responsible or the person who just chooses to sure. that or gets forced into it somehow. I feel like to the degree that I did it, maybe not as common. I was really involved probably too much at a, a lot of times, but I was just really into it because I just like knowing how that stuff worked, especially when 
real stuff started happening, you know, like when we started, when we had a, a real manager and a real management company and seeing how they do real marketing and things that I didn't really get to, to experience in any of the other bands, you know, that we were in. So I always paid a lot of attention to that. And all of those things have helped me tremendously throughout this. So yeah, being a, being a manager and dealing with people, something I'm very, very familiar with. And it seems like you just, you bring this focus to anything that you want to figure out. Maybe it's the uh, producer style or something on a record that you love, or it's apparently just management styles and, and marketing. You bring this focus to it and you want to figure it out. And you're kind of being self-deprecating and saying, well, maybe you're a little too focused or whatever. But it seems like that is how you've managed to be successful, I guess, from the outside anyway. Yeah, I mean, I guess I just always know that there's something that I've always been very aware of that, um, nothing lasts forever. <laughs> nothing you're doing is going to, it's going to be as, as great at it as it is in this moment, you know? And so to, to me, I feel like it's pretty, pretty wise. And that would be my advice to people. If anyone ever asked and that, that I give, it's just sort of, you know, pay attention to your surroundings and like pick up, as much as you can, because you never know when you're going to have to move on to the next thing or when some crazy thing in life is going to be presented that you have to deal with. And you can go back through your catalog of experiences and know how to deal with it better because you can apply something from the past into this new thing. You know, every, every, you know, things, still to this day, I mean, obviously things happen that I've never dealt with before, but everything can be related to something else in some way. And you can always use those, those things that have happened to you in the past to move forward on a problem or, or just get, even just getting through something that's good, you know, yeah. being able to manage something that good that's happening. Like people, a lot of people ask too, like going back to advice, like a lot of people always ask me, like, how, can you tell me how to, like, how do you make it? Like, how do these, I'm just starting to play music. Like, what do you do? And just like, um, you just have to do the best you can and you have to be able to, it's all about it, it, everything success for everybody. It's all about timing. But then, and I say this all the time, probably another thing I say too much, but it is all about timing, but then if you don't know how to execute that thing, that window, um, then you miss it. You know, it's like, I feel like everybody in life has an opportunity to do something great. Some people just don't know how to handle it when it comes. And so it just gets, and I'm sure there's a lot of missed opportunities that have come my way too, that could have made me super successful or something, you know, in some other avenue that I just didn't, I didn't know. So you just, on top of just timing, you do, <clears throat> there's a certain level of just knowing how to, how to deal with something when it's presented to you and take it and run with it. And that's actually one of the reasons I want to start this podcast, because I'm fascinated by this, this idea of taking uh, a turn and recognizing an opportunity, because like you said, either people often don't recognize, or I think even more so there's a fear of change and doing something different. So they choose to maybe ignore the opportunity or they just don't see it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I just read this article today 
it was kind of about that. And it was, um, it was like the, the theory, I guess, in which successful people or just the mentality, I guess, that successful people have is being able, you know, to take those risks and do things that are outside of your comfort zone and to be okay with not knowing exactly what's around the corner. Like that's what, that's what I've never wanted. That's why I didn't want to go get the job at the credit card company or the telemarketing company, because that was too, it was, it was just laid out. Like you just know, like, you know, that you're going to work 40 hours and you're going to get, um, 10 bucks an hour. And at the end of the, on Friday, you're going to get paid and then you're going to go waste it all over the weekend. And then you're going to start all over. And that was what the article was saying was like, some people just want to get enough, just need enough to get by. And that's what they want. And if that's what you want, that's all you're ever going to get. Like if that's what you lay out for yourself that you're going to get, you know, you just, you just need enough to pay the bills. You just need enough to live, which is, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's, what's going to happen. You know, unless you win the lottery and some fluke thing makes you successful all of a sudden. But if you want that, if you want to have that challenge, which is what I wanted and you're okay with not knowing what's around the corner, which to me is more, more exciting. Like I'm more excited being in this business and just being in this world that I'm in knowing like I could get the Foo Fighters tomorrow or I won't. (laughs) But if I do, if you know, like, suddenly the Foo Fighters are like, Hey, we need you to do our merch. That would change my life. You know, it would, it would make everything crazy. Um, and that's, that's how the merch thing's gone really. You know, it's like the, it was kind of struggling and then I got Sergeant house and that was a huge turn for me. And it, it helped me take the business into a, into a completely different level. And that's happened continuously as we've grown. And that's, that's what is so exciting to me is just never knowing what's around the corner. Everything that I've put myself into is something that at any day can be surprising. Well, bringing it back to what you said earlier, you were ready to execute when the opportunity came in. You didn't drop the ball, which is really important because you could have failed miserably when Sergeant House came on board, right? I mean, 13 bands, that's, that's a huge increase over what you were doing. Yeah. And yeah, I, yeah, you got to know what you're doing. For sure. I mean, in, in the other business that I'm in selling t-shirts, having our clothing company, it's, I mean, selling t-shirts with stuff written on them is, is like the oldest trick in the book, but I know how to do it well. And so it's been really good for us. And I've seen a lot of people get, start to get successful. Um, you know, it's like, maybe they have a good idea. They have a good little niche to jump into and they get popular, but then they just can't handle it. And that's been, that's been such a a powerful thing for us, for the clothing company is that I had that the years and years of developing, you know, and learning how to ship stuff fast and how to to have really good customer service and how to be efficient and source production. I mean, a lot (laughs) of people that don't have that knowledge at all. Yeah. And doing all that stuff. So when things do get crazy, when you do have a big sale and all of a sudden you're selling like 10,000 shirts or something in a weekend, you can do it and you don't, you don't screw it up. So that's, that's really what it is. Yeah. I mean, it's just like anything, I guess. And I don't think that's any new, new, um, groundbreaking. It's not like a groundbreaking statement or anything. It's, it's pretty common sense, obvious 
talk, but, but that's really what it is. I mean, you have, you have to know how to, how to deal with the situation and that can really determine which way your life's going to go. Well, something I think is really interesting about your story is that just as the music industry was imploding and basically it became impossible to make money selling music, you managed to get into a business where people are still pretty glad to shell out money for stuff related to music, which is obviously selling merch, but vinyl, you know, and, uh, t-shirts and all that. Like how was that just good fortune? I mean, I, it, it kind of blows my mind because that timing really, I mean, everything just kind of started falling apart with the sale of music, uh, in the late 2000, mid to late two thousands. And that's exactly when you started Hello Merch. Yeah. I mean, I think that just goes back to the way I did everything. I mean, even in the, even in the first band, like the, the cheesy pop punk band, you know, we weren't selling, we were in a band called Never in a Score. Our songs were about just stupid, like the dumbest stuff ever. And the shows were fun and people came to the shows, but, um, it wasn't really about the music. It was just about like the fun show and hanging out, but people were buying shirts that even then, you know, and I recognized that early on and I love shirts. Like every time I went to, to a show, like I would buy a shirt from somebody because it's just, you need something to wear. Everybody has to wear clothes. And if you're into music and you're a kid, you love wearing band shirts. Like that's what you do. So, um, that was just really important. And it's why I took it on so heavily in the format was just, um, recognizing that, okay, we're, not a band that sells millions of albums, but we do good on the road. And if we can just sell a few hundred shirts a night, just doing simple math, like that's going to get us through it. Cause when we're making, you know, a hundred bucks a night as a support band, but if we can, you know, sell a couple hundred shirts or do a few bucks ahead or something, then that's, what's going to, that's, what's going to get us through. So I, just that, I just knew that. I mean, I knew that as being in a band that doesn't, even if the music business was booming, my bands still weren't selling tons of records. So it's kind of the same, it just transitions into when the music business was imploding. Like these bands may not be selling tons of records, but that doesn't mean that people aren't still listening to them. They're just stealing their music on the internet. <laughs> right. So you can't, you can't really steal a t-shirt, you know? So it's like that business has never really died. Right. Do you feel like it's actually growing in some ways? This idea to have some tangible connection to a band because, okay, wait, I'll, I'll rephrase this because I feel like there might be something here. Because music to kids now, I think, is a lot more disposable. You know, it's not like they're going to the store and buying a physical thing anymore. Do you think that merch maybe kind of takes the place of that in terms of this physical connection to an artist? Yeah. I mean, in some, to some degree, it's getting kind of ridiculous because there's just, I mean, you start getting into bundles, like don't even get me started on like the, a band's album bundle. It's like the things that you have to do just to try to, um, coerce people into buying, almost like trick people into buying your music. Right. And the VIP packages and all these yeah, things it's that like people do. You just do. put so much flashy stuff around and it's not even about the record. It's just about the stuff. And then, you know, tucked away in there somewhere is a CD or, or a vinyl or digital download that you get to sound scan, which is ultimately what everyone's trying to achieve is just trying to get that first week up on a pre-order. So you can still, 
you know, be put on a chart that doesn't even really matter anymore. But, um, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I, yeah, I don't even remember what the question is. Well, <laughs> I was just wondering if merchandise is kind of, is the way to connect with younger people who don't have, oh, yeah. they don't connect music with a physical object anymore. I mean, they go to YouTube and listen to songs. Like it, it blows my mind. Like my wife does this. She wants to listen to a song. She pulls it up on YouTube. And I'm like, well, why, why? Yeah. The yes. quality is terrible and whatever. Yeah, but so many people do that. I've never, I've never been the YouTube music guy, but I have friends that send me YouTube links and I'm like, don't they, is their stuff not on iTunes? Um, but yeah, it, it is. And it's, I feel like it's, I feel like it's leveling off a little bit. It's not as bad. You know, everyone was kind of in a frenzy to have like the coolest, craziest bundle. And now that it's starting to pick up a little bit or maybe not even pick up, but just people are accepting the transition a little bit more now. The music can't be the sole product anymore. I mean, it, it really can't. Well, just that it's not, it's def, it's just not, it's a losing battle. Like it's not going to be, besides the fact that vinyl is up like 51% again this year or 500% or something, whatever, some crazy number. Um, besides the fact that vinyl's up as like a cool, tangible thing to hold in your hand. Um, I, I really think it is. Yeah. I mean, people are just, people are just realizing that streaming is going to be the thing, you know, and it's people are real, especially now with Apple moving over to that platform. That to me was sort of like the last thing everybody was waiting on and and now it's really just gonna that that's it you know once apple did it it had a streaming service then it just it has to be accepted i mean i don't know what else there's gonna be we live in a digital world that's how everything's gonna that's just how it's gonna be so right but yet like you said vinyl is up however many percent so yet there's still a market yeah there is for I the mean, stuff it's, but it's, it's just a trend i mean i don't yeah i don't think that that's gonna last forever and it's yeah. So who knows? I mean, I hope it does. I think it's cool. I mean, I have a bunch of vinyl records and I love, I love it because I love artwork. I love I do creating too. artwork. I love reading liner. I mean, reading liner notes was my favorite thing to do when I bought an album. So, um, I hope it sticks around somehow in some kind of physical way, but, but yeah, it is pretty crazy. I mean, there's just so many things, there's so many ways to do things now and it's so overly, it, it, it's just insane. <laughs> it just, it needs to be organ. My uh, OCD just wants to organize the internet because there's just so many things and so many options and ways to do things that is just getting confusing. So how do you stay on top of that? Being that your business kind of depends on being a part of that, at least a little bit, you know, all these different ways to do things and different types of products and bundles, like you said. And I mean, even though I literally just said that people need to, to, um, transition into the, the now I still do as far as the merch business goes, like I keep it pretty old school and I try to preach to the managers and people like, Hey, don't do a Kickstarter and have a merch store. You know, that's kind of like having like, you know how it's annoying when you have a Facebook and a Twitter and an Instagram account and a Snapchat and a whatever. And you're pushing the exact same thing yeah. and no one really knows where to go. And like, not, you can't really track anything or know how anything's doing. Cause it's all doing the same thing. Like, don't, don't do that to your income source. Like don't start confusing that by 
utilizing all these different things. Like people need to know if you want people to buy your stuff, they need to know where to buy it. They, they don't need to be confused about that. They don't need to feel, um, cautious because this is a purchase, you know, this isn't just like following someone's feed. Like this is, it's a serious business. Like there's a lot of apprehension before people buy things. It Especially takes a, with so much for free now on the internet. Yeah. It takes a lot to get somebody to buy a t-shirt. Like if you look at, to get dorky about it, it's like, if you look at abandoned carts, you know, the abandoned cart data on hello merch is astronomical. How many people really start, start to buy some, I mean, it's, it's pretty common. I think, I yeah. think that like, you know, 3% maybe is, you know, like 97% of people abandon a cart first, you know, it's like they may come back, but that's, it's some, you know, it's never great. Like, that's why they have all these things like retargeting people that email me every day of my life that I have to fight off like mosquitoes. It's like, you know, ad retargeting and abandoned cart retargeting and this, and everything has its weird, these weird lingos and phrases and things because that's the trend is like trying to figure out how to get people to come back and or pay attention because everyone has such a short attention span for anything because it's just so, because why do you need one? Cause it's just going to, if you miss it here, it's just going to be here, you know? So, but with the store and the physical stuff, I feel like it's a little different. And my argument against that is like people need security and knowing that like when they decide to make that purchase, they know that they know where it's going to be. They know that they're not missing out on something cooler because the cooler thing is that on your Kickstarter page, Kickstarter campaign and like the less cool thing is on your merch store, you know, but if they trust that like you're putting everything in one spot, then it's going to be easier for them to come back and just to keep coming back and buying stuff. So it's a struggle for me because I, I that argument's hard to even give because I, it's obviously way more beneficial for me to have everything sold at Hello Merch financially, but that's really not where it's coming from. It's really just like trying my best to make sure that they're going to succeed because I know how important it is to have that income. Do you feel like that attitude and that honesty you mentioned earlier, has that been a big part of your success and the fact that you've kept growing? Like, do you think that that rolls into the word of mouth that bands are giving you? I certainly hope so. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I would feel weird saying, yeah, cause I don't like, sure. You want to be modest, pat, of course. Yeah. But I don't like pat. I'm like a chronic person, chronic, uh, self-deprecator, self-deprecator. Yeah. Um, but yeah, <laughs> probably I would think so. I mean, I think everybody, I think everybody, um, that I work with puts a lot of trust in me and I, and I don't take that for granted in any way. I'm very, very much try to be as open and honest about everything as possible. It's very, it's very important because it's their, it's who they are, you know, it's their money. It's how they do things. I want to make sure that everyone's being treated fairly. Which it, it seems like that would be common sense. But like you said, I think there are a lot of really skeezy merch companies out there. And I've got to believe then that what you've done is created a competitive advantage by your, for yourself by just being decent and honest, which is kind of sad to say that that has to be a competitive advantage, but it sounds like it might be given the competition. It's crazy how often I hear when I first start working with somebody after the first month, how surprised they are that I'm paying them already. And 
I, and I, and I know it, like, I know that they're going to be, because I know that I've been there, but getting paid every month is, is rare, <laughs> especially if you're with, if you're, you know, signed with a label or, you know, there's the word recouping is, a, is a very present word in the music business. And there's not a lot of recouping with me. I do the best I can to organize your account and make sure that you're not doing that. You know, things are recouped and dealt with as fast as possible to make sure that you are getting paid that month. That's, that's my goal. It's just, that was the thing that made me happiest when I first started was just writing, you know, like the 10 checks every month to the 10 bands and just being so thrilled to actually be paying people. And I suppose having just been, you know, on the other side of that, not that long before, you could definitely understand what a difference that having that money would make in the life of a touring band. It's a huge difference. Even if it's like a hundred bucks, I mean, you get, I get residual format checks that are like cents sometimes. So even <laughs> like that, I mean, I lived off that stuff for a while, like after the format broke up, like getting, you know, $200 ASCAP checks every quarter for like the song being used in the Laguna beach TV show, because now it's made its way to Israel or something. Sure. You know, that stuff is, that stuff adds up and it's super important. Every, every penny counts, even though I just made fun of getting the 64 cent check, but you know, like, yeah, a hundred bucks is a hundred bucks when you're in a band and you, I mean, that's like, that fills up your tank a few times, you know, a few or a couple times now, maybe if you're in a band. So it's, it's important. So what did your life look like when you were getting this thing off the ground at first and it was just you, like were hours pretty crazy or was it just workload was manageable enough where you didn't have to put in tons of extra time? It wasn't too bad. I mean, I think I was probably working like 10 to five or six or something for the first year or so, unless, unless something Unless there was like a new album that came out, you know, like maybe I'd have a really busy week, but I was still doing music stuff on the side too, like little things. Like I, I did a movie soundtrack and I did some other, Oh yeah, the sinking of the Santa Isabella or whatever, I think. Yeah. I did some yeah. stuff like that early on. So that was, I mean, I was pretty busy just cause I was keeping myself as I always do occupied with a bunch of different things, which is so fitting was, the theme of the show. I think is you're always moving, always looking to, to the next thing. Yeah. I mean, I did that and I did this, the thing I think I mentioned before the Destry with, the, um, Michelle who was in yeah, Australia run, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So that was like a kind of a weird thing I didn't expect to happen, but it was fun to do. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've, I'm always incredibly busy. Even if I'm not, I'm thinking about being busy. It's, <laughs> <laughs> So what does an average day today look like? Is there such thing as an average day for you? My days. Yeah. Now these days are pretty, um, it's a pretty good mix of my old life. Um, you know, being an owner of a, of a pretty okay sized business and having a family. So, you know, I get up at six 30, take my kid to school. Then I go to work. I get to work at by about eight thirty. I work till five. Come home, uh, you know, water my garden, <laughs> hose down some stuff. I don't know. Do some like some dorky old guy house stuff, and uh, yeah, hang out with my kid, and then 
everyone kind of goes to sleep and I come down in the basement and watch like conspiracy theory stuff on Netflix or play guitar, <laughs> work on music or talk on a podcast for like, yeah, two hours. On a podcast. So it's, I mean, that's pretty typical. Like I, I try to do at least like one thing from each avenue of my life in a, in a day. I try to squeeze a little bit of everything in one day, every day. And, and that's maybe part of the thing you mentioned earlier, which is basically, I don't know how you put it. I don't think you said make sure you always have options, but it's just the idea that you never know when this thing is going to end. So you've got to have something to do next. And do you think that's part of it is working on each part of your life? Yeah, I've everything and everything that I've done in the past, I still, I still do it to keep myself, um, I guess fresh in it to some degree. Like I never, I don't ever want to totally lose touch with something that I've done in the past. So I still, you know, we'll do art for, for bands. If it's kind of slow, I'll pick up some stuff. And like I did a ton of stuff for Nate for his new record. And that was like a pretty huge undertaking. And, um, I'm always working on music still, even if, you know, for years I was working on this record that I'm doing now, going to be putting out now a pretty long time, even though almost none of the songs during that time ended up getting used, but it was still, I was, I was still just writing songs just to keep doing it. Cause I, I don't, you know, just like how I didn't want to get a job because I didn't want to lose touch of, of my, of, or lose sight of the focus that I had. It's, that's still the same mentality I have today. I still, even if I'm really busy and it would, I would be totally okay with just doing the band stuff. It's like, I still have a clothing company where I design stuff all the time or work with bands doing that stuff. And I'm still making music and I'm still having a totally normal family life too, you know? So it's, I'm pretty good at pretty good, um, juggler, balancer of, of, um, this, this kind of insane life that I've given myself. So you, this clothing company that I know we haven't even talked about this. Sorry. We're so far in. You sure you don't have anywhere to be? <laughs> oh no. I'm, yeah, I'm fine. This um, is where I would be regardless. I just would be talking to myself instead of you. Right. Right. Which, uh, that'd be interesting. You should uh, consider doing a podcast yourself. Maybe someday. <laughs> Dude, that's what I was saying. I was telling my friend, uh, Toko, like when I was setting this up, I'm like, Hey, this is cool. I'm cause I, I actually listened to a ton of podcasts. So, um, yeah, after I got this set up last night, I'm like, dude, I got this thing set up. We should just Skype each other and have weird conversations and put it up online. Uh, you totally should. And I, I also listen to a ton of podcasts. It's amazing how this is one of the great things about the internet with this micro audience thing where you can find a podcast about anything, absolutely anything. And so any niche you want to fill, you can do it and you can find something interesting. So yeah, and I think it really works too as like, um, a, it's a good, um, promotional tool for people too. I mean, even like I listen to a lot of comedian podcasts and there's aside from even the guests, like people that I would never even care about or even know about in any way that I've become fans of people that are, you know, guests of podcasts. I've become fans of people that are hosting podcasts because I only listened to it because I was a fan of the guest. And things like that. So very similar to the thing we were talking about earlier, going to a show and being surprised by an yeah, opener that you think is totally. awesome and you discover them and yeah, oh, yeah it's totally. totally true. Yeah. It's cool. So I, yeah, I'm super into it. I just, I love hearing people talk. So I'm really, I'm really into that right now. Yeah. That's, that is awesome. And I, I love it as well. And I love talking to people, which is why I'm trying to make this thing a go and 
yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But so I was going to ask you about the Hello Apparel thing and where that got started and how you branched off from selling other people's stuff and, you know, your own designs into doing these, basically a clothing line. Well, that was a weird thing because that was actually part of plan A when I started the merch company. I guess I, I started Hello Apparel then um, because I was so deeply involved in the format merch stuff that I wanted to keep doing that. So I made like six designs that were pretty, pretty uh, reminiscent of format stuff. And I just thought like, well, people, people like that, you know, they liked it. Maybe not even necessarily just because it was format stuff, but they just liked the shirts. So maybe I can, and I enjoyed doing that. So I just thought maybe I could keep, keep doing that. So I, I started it and I, the, the only thing I could think to do to promote it at the time, because it was like March or April was, I just thought like, maybe I should go on the warp tour and set up a booth. Cause I knew that people had done that. Even though I had never in my life been on a warp tour, it was, it just like popped in my head. It was the worst idea ever, but I, I did it. So I went and did it. I did like, wait, you actually did this. I did. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I, I went, we had sold the format trailer to somebody that I knew. It was like my wife's old boss or something. So I went back to him after I had already sold it to him. And I was like, can I, can I rent that trailer? I sold this a little too soon. Can I rent that back from you for a week? Um, so I rented the trailer back and I, I made a bunch of stuff and I took my friend and my sister-in-law and we just did the work tour for like a week and it was terrible. Like it just, what, I don't even know. I was just out of my mind. I don't know why I thought it would be a good idea. Cause I'm not, that's never been my thing really. But, um, being out there and talking to people. No, just being on the warp tour. It was, yeah, yeah it was just the wrong crowd. I mean, it was yeah. not the right crowd. It wasn't my scene. Um, I feel like the warp tour has probably changed a lot too. Cause when I was a kid and going, it was all like pop punk bands and it yeah, was like, very, I lo- yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to say I love the warp tour, but I, but I went when it first was starting, like I definitely went the first few years and you know, that's how I saw a lot of cool bands that I loved back then. So yeah, it was cool. And it had like in 2008, it was not that. And that now I think it's even more so not that I think it's kind of falling apart from what I read, but um, yeah, that's, so that's when it started and it just didn't go good. And, and I kept all the stuff online after that, but I never did anything else with it until 2012. It was four years later. And I, I actually still have the initial order, like some of the initial run from that warp tour run on the shelves today. Like that's how bad it was. Oh, wow. Yeah. So in 2012, um, I just started seeing all these people doing clothing companies again, or like a couple people and like Joe was printing for some guys that were doing really good, just making like cool shirts. And there, this is another weird thing where it was just like, I just got lucky and executed it. Right. I guess. But just one day there's this, this, I guess they're still around. Probably there's a company called the fancy. It was a website. And it was just like a sort of like part social media thing. Um, but for shopping 
And so you would, instead of liking something, you would fancy it and then you could buy it. It would be kind of like a glorified link, like a Pinterest kind of a thing. Sure. Yeah. But then they also sold stuff like they, they would buy some stuff and had a warehouse and they would sell it through like a logistics company or something. And, uh, they started doing these things called fancy boxes, which is like a subscription service. You'd pay like 60 bucks a month and they would just send you a box full of, um, just whatever, like a curated box of stuff. And you never knew what you were going to get, but they were, this dude had done one that Joe had printed for. And it was like an instant order. You know, it's like they, they order like 5,000 shirts because they have 5,000 subscriptions. So I just made it my goal to get in one of those. I'm like, that's just like a, that's just quick cash. That's crazy. If you can convince them to take, put one of your products in the box, you sell 5,000 immediately. So I got in touch with somebody there. I just started emailing people and I was like, um, Hey, I, I just, I have a, you know, I have a merch company for bands, but I just started this clothing company, which was not even true really. And, but I just mocked up a few designs and one of them was the I'm so tired shirt. And that we, you know, it's like the best selling shirt we have. And then one was just like the red kind of like the, our flagship shirt or design, which is just the hello logo on a red sweatshirt. It's kind of our thing. So it was just a few things. And I, I sent it to the guy and he's like, Oh yeah, this is great. Like we might, we might want to put one of these in the box and like, we'll get on a call with somebody next week. And so I got on this conference call. And so after like a few days, they placed an order for like five or 6,000 of the sweatshirts. And that's how it started. <laughs> wow. Okay. That was it. So then I was like, okay, um, I'm going to keep this going. And then my wife was like, well, you should, we had just had a kid. She was like two and she was like, you should do kids clothes. And then I'll just start sending them to bloggers and stuff like these mommy blogs that I'd been reading for the last two years about how to, be a parent and like what to do when, you know, your kid does this. And, uh, so she started doing that and they loved it. And so they would like wear it and post it and they'd have thousands of followers and stuff. And so it just, it was a, it was just one of those things. It was just a, an accident. Kinda. But again, you were ready to execute once but it I took off. But I was totally ready. Yeah. So like once it started really, I mean, to get a 5,000 order and it's like, they needed it really soon you know it's like yeah well we want these and we want them next week and you had the capacity to make that happen as far as production goes yeah i mean my biggest thing was just getting the blanks because that's always like now at this point we could do anything I and mean, we're we got a pretty good setup but that's always the thing is like is which week is american apparel going to go out of business right you know and stop, stop making stuff um that's so yeah getting the blanks is always the struggle when it's a big thing it's you know oh this band word this and we can only get half of them and now we got to change everything uh but yeah i mean it, it just worked out and we we were set up for it we were already doing it you know by that by that point we had like pretty you know close to 100 bands and we'd been doing it for five or six years or something so it was really easy to all of a sudden have a clothing company 
it was just a natural evolution or an adjacency, I think they say in the business world, but it makes perfect yeah. sense. Yeah. And I just, I mean, I run it exactly like I ran the format merch. I mean, I run it like a band. I just pretend it's a band and I, I don't do anything that I don't know how to do. So it's, you know, we come out with a lot of stuff throughout the year on a, we'll come out with stuff on a whim. You know, we kind of just treat each thing rather than like a season. We sort of treat it as like a tour. <laughs> sure. <laughs> think of like, Oh, this is just the next tour. Cause that's what it would be. It's like, Oh, we're going on tour in November. We need six new designs. And that's kind of what, how I do this. And you get to write the checks out to yourself instead of the bands. Yeah. So it's cool. That's always <laughs> nice. Yeah. And it's I got to ask, um, cause I'm not tired shirt made me think of it as where did this, uh, Futura bold thing start with you? Cause that's a distinctive Sam means thing. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I, I don't know when I started using it. I think it was I don't know. I mean, it's probably, it's gotta be like Wes Anderson inspired or like the other besides Wes Anderson, um, field notes. Yes. Yes. They have it as well. Don't they? They use that. I think that was the, I've always, I've always loved that font. Like even as a kid, like I love just really blocky classic fonts like that. That was a font that I always just loved, but I never knew what it was called until I got, field field notes. And I definitely recognized that Wes Anderson used it a lot and I, and I loved it, but I, but I never really knew what it was. And then I, uh, when I got my, I somehow came across field notes and I somewhere on the website, like it said that it was future, you know, it's like this is future bold 12 point or extra bold or whatever. And from that point, you know, I went and bought it or downloaded it or something. And I, use it on everything because nothing i don't really like fonts except for that it's pretty much the only font that i even like like everything usually looks wrong to me unless unless it's handwritten or it's that font yeah it's interesting to me that you gravitated towards it because you have that more handwritten style in a lot of the merch that kind of sketched out look but then futura bold is so the opposite of that well, yeah, that's why I did. That's why I always did that too, because I just hated fonts so much. And so many band shirts were just like, there was like a font craze in like the late nineties. Yeah. Know, yeah. It's like these terrible you, fonts. You can go to font freak and download like a font bundle of 25,000 fonts and like dig through. And I used to make flyers. That was the, that's really how I got into graphic design. So I was making flyers for, for shows, the venue I worked at. And, uh, I really, they hated me because I just kept using the same font, like the closest thing to feature I could find at that point, which is, you know, I forget like impact or something. Yeah. Impact is like the Microsoft. Yeah. I was always using, yeah, I was always using the blocky fonts and they were like, you only use this for, for hardcore shows and stuff. It's like, dude, what are you talking about? (laughs) That's really funny. But, uh, yeah. Well, I was just at uh, the good old war show. They opened for code line last night in town. And so I, I went to that and they're still selling like good old war. I assume that you did the design, the uh, yeah. iconic <laughs> yeah. future of bold or extra bold, whatever it is. Um, yeah. I've made that shirt a few times. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of what I was thinking, but it's awesome. It's a classic. I have the, uh, the Navy with the yellow one and the one they're selling on tour has a slightly different background of the text. Actually. Yeah. I have that. I have that Navy one too. I, I snagged one of those and wore it for a couple of years. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I just I just had to ask because it, it's so distinctive and it's definitely something that you're known for. I think, which is pretty cool. 
So yeah, so this Hello Apparel thing has obviously grown a lot too. And I, I'm kind of wondering between the two businesses, like what's the revenue split percentage wise? Like has Hello Apparel con- come to equal what you do with the Hello Merch side or do you not really split it out as much? It's yeah, at this point it's about 50 50. Okay. Like Hello Apparel really, uh, it's, it's funny because, um, as much as the, the infrastructure of the band merch helped Hello Apparel get started. Hello Apparel helped fund efficiency for for everyone. So the bigger Hello Apparel got, the more people I could hire because my 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 profit margins are so drastically different on that obviously because I'm not you know given a band 85 90% of what they sell I'm I'm giving it to me. Right. So um I take a lot of that money like I still like Hello Merch takes a commit the same commission from Hello Apparel, and I use that to fund um, extra stuff that we need to grow. You know, so I I shave right off the top like twenty percent, just goes straight into the bank to build. Like, you know, as these bands start getting bigger, like these bands that were that were tiny, like a lot of Kathy's bands and just bands that I started working with a long time ago that weren't really doing much. Now they're starting to do these huge orders and like, I'm still trying to do them the way that I used to, which is like, Oh, just get out on the road and we'll worry about the invoice in a couple of weeks. And that's getting a lot, it's getting a lot harder because as these bands grow, it's like, uh, can I get a deposit? Cause this order is pretty gnarly. Um, but having that as like a, you know, I using hello apparel as like a bankroll to, build just the company as a whole has helped so much. It's insane. Like just the revenue that we've been able to put back into building the business to make it better and to make it more of a legit thing. You know, like a, it's, if you, you know, going into the warehouse, like it looks like a total, it's very, as of this year, like we are very pro, like we're doing things exactly how somebody should be doing them you know, in a warehouse, we're not doing anything the old school way anymore. Like we're, everything's, everything's legit now. So it's, it's been good. It's everything kind of works off each other and it's been, it's been helpful in both ways. And all again, because of basically kind of an accident, a failed warp tour experiment, and then you committing yourself to getting your product to be part of this bundle that you just, for whatever reason, were obsessed with. It sounds like. I was just kind of like, if like, why am I not doing that? Like it, they, it's so, it would be so easy for us to do that. Like we just, that's what we do every day. Like, yeah, I, just, yeah. we should at least try, see if it sticks, you know, which again gets to that thing about fear and not having it and being willing to leverage something you know how to do. Yeah. You got to take that risk or else nothing's ever going to happen. Something I did want to swing back to is something you mentioned. You said you realize you're very aware almost every day, if not more often than that, that everything comes to an end. And I, I can definitely relate to that. And I, I feel like that's kind of what keeps me moving all the time and the different stuff that I do. Uh, but how do you find a balance between that, which is very proactive, but uh, it's a, a style of life. I think that ends up being pretty busy and crazy and hectic. How do you balance that with living in the moment and, you know, like appreciating time with your kid, uh, appreciating time with your wife, you know, doing other things 
does that question make sense? Like, as I feel like if you're afraid that everything is, could end at any moment, you're just always running around doing stuff and maybe you're not living in the present as much. Yeah. Well, I mean, the way that I combat that, I guess, is just to try to be smart. Like when things are going good, I, I always give myself like a buffer, you know, it's like when the format broke up, I had a financial buffer to fall back on for a little bit. So I bought myself some time, you know, and it's that same kind of thing where, especially now as I get older and, you know, things suddenly become crazier and responsibilities become greater, you know, like back when I, we always like joke about this where, you know, like when you were 16 and you're, your, um, you know, radiator would have a hole in it or something and you'd take it in. And it would be $150. That was like the end of the world. You can't even imagine that much money and, and the fact that you have to spend it right now. Yeah. And not that I'm like a, you know, have a ton of money or anything, but obviously as, as an adult for most, most adults, $150 is, it's pretty manageable, you know, for, for a good portion of the country. I mean, for some people it's not, and that's unfortunate, but um, things just change. So like the, the buffer and it's just, it's just all about planning. Like I try to just be smart and know that, you know, probably someday, maybe even soon, like hello apparel, this craze of, um, mommy kid t-shirt pairing Instagram phenomenon, mommy blog thing people are going to stop caring at some point and move on to the next thing like they do with everything else. Totally. Or there could be another recession or something. And that might be something that yeah, people cut so out just, their budgets. Like they're not going to spend $24 on a t-shirt for their kid. Yeah. So you just got to plan. I mean, you got to think like, how can I harness this audience now to start building something new that seems like it would be sustainable in a, in a down economy or, um, just maybe a new thing that I'm starting to pick up on that is becoming more popular now that we can ride for a couple more years or even just in your own life planning, you know, it's like, Hey, if this all stopped tomorrow, like, are we, are we cool? You know, like, could we pay our mortgage? Can we do this? Can we do that for a while? Like how much time do we have? And so to me, I have that comfort day to day, just knowing a, I have a lot of things to fall back on, you know, and I would, it would take a pretty heavy duty world crisis for everything that I know how to do to not be obtainable. Like the, I should have at least one skill set that I could use, even if it's just like running an office or something at this point, you know? So that's, that's my comfort is just knowing I've put myself in enough places that if things went down, you know, I could, I could do something and we don't live some extravagant lifestyle that, uh, you know, we wouldn't be okay. So it's, it's just, it's just planning really. It's just planning in your business and planning in your life. And that's what gives you the comfort to know that if, and when things do shift, you're able to, to take it on. It's just, it's the exact opposite of being able to embrace an opportunity. It's being able to deflect something bad. Yeah. It's, I could see where they're kind of opposite sides of the same coin, I guess, is that you've got to be ready to jump into stuff, but you've also got to be prepared for the worst. That's, 
that's the beauty and like the the bad thing about living this kind of lifestyle is never knowing what's around the corner. It doesn't necessarily mean it's it's not always going to be good. It's going to be bad sometimes. You have to know how to handle it. This episode of U-Turn is sponsored by Electric Pulp. Electric Pulp is a full-service digital agency specializing in smart, modern solutions for web and mobile. Founded in 1996, Electric Pulp has deep technical roots in business solutions and e-commerce and works with a wide range of clients, including well-known brands like Ford, O'Neill, and HP. Electric Pulp works on projects of all shapes and sizes and can handle strategy, design, development, search and analytics, social and email, as well as ongoing support for your company's next project. To get started, visit them at electricpulp.com or send them a note at hello at electricpulp.com. Thanks to Electric Pulp for sponsoring U-Turn. So I got to ask, when's this record going to come out that you've been working on for a long time? Uh, I have a release date. It's going to come out sooner than later. Um, I don't know. When's this podcast going up? Well, I got to edit it and do all that stuff. I think it's probably going to have to be a two-parter, but I would assume it's going to be in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, now that it's five hours long. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, but people, like I think they like part one and part two because if they get into the conversation like, oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, the next one and it's not so big of a chunk to See, I, lo- I love a good long podcast. I like to drag stuff out. So oh, I do too. Good. I do too. But a lot of people complain about things that are over an hour. I think a lot of people listen on their commutes when they can. So yeah, that's what I do. I just, I drag it out over a couple of days if I need to. Like I've been listening to, how was I listening to for a couple, a couple of days? It was like, uh, this guy, Matt Sweeney on Mark Marin's podcast. Oh yeah. I've heard, I haven't listened to his podcast, but I've heard a lot of people talk about it. Yeah. It's funny too. Cause I didn't even really like him. Um, so I would skip all the banter. If, if there's somebody that I wanted to hear, I would skip all the banter that he does at the beginning and just get straight to the interview. And then I listen to him enough. Now I actually like him and like watch his show. That's kind of like what I was saying before, where you become a fan of somebody because of these podcasts that you would never even really care about. But, but yeah, the album's coming out. Um, it's not going to be till next year, but it will, will be very early into next year. And, uh, I have a song and a video, the first song, everything, the cycle is starting this month. So everything's going to start, start kicking in here in the next few weeks. Are you working through network? No, I'm doing everything uh, myself. Of course you are. Why am I not surprised? (laughs) Yeah, no, I have a little bit of help. I mean, I have a, um, the lawyer, um, Brian, who's been with me since the format stuff, he's, he's been helping me you know, find a publicist and like plan out some of the stuff and do the the producer deal with Steve and like all the little technical things, stuff like that. But, but yeah, I have, it's sort of just like back in the format days, I have my little, my crew. Um, and yeah, that's how it's going to go. I think it's going to be, it's going to be okay. Do you see touring at all with this? I would like to in theory, but I don't know. Do you have the time is the question hearing everything that you have going on right now. I don't know. It would be tough. I mean, I think I, I think I could technically do little spurts of it, but, um, it's just really hard cause I would want to do it with all the guys and everybody lives in a different state. Sure. So, and that, you know, they all have jobs and kids. So it's just, it's, it, it's a tall order. 
to get everyone together long enough to be able to rehearse and play shows. I mean, they all want to do it. They're all dying to do it, but I'm, I'm definitely the one that's keeping it from happening at this point. So it, it may happen. I just, I don't know. Are you pretty excited about the record and how it turned out? Yeah, I'm really, really excited. This has been the process of making it has been so fun and so great to just be back into that, that again, like making a, you know, a record in this fashion with other people, with other people being involved. First of all, it being in a, in a, other people have been involved in other things too, but actually being in a room with somebody, which I haven't done since, you know, 2008. So being in a room with somebody and recording an album has been really awesome again. Is songwriting something that comes naturally to you or do you have to work at it and do that little bit every day kind of thing? No, songwriting is, is, yeah, it's very, that's very natural to me. The singing is my, my problem. I'm not, I'm not, I'm very uncomfortable with it. Um, I guess I am an introvert. <laughs> I don't, I'm not, I'm not cool with, with singing yet. It's getting easier, a little easier. And I'm pretty happy with how I think it, the vocals and stuff turned out, you know, as best as, as they could have. And I'm, I'm pretty, I'm actually pretty proud of the, the vocals, but I'm, but I, I'm very realistic about it. Like I know that, um, you know, lyrics and melodies and just my actual ability, physical ability to sing is something that I really need to work on a lot. It's, 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 it's something I'm learning. It's something I never, ever had to worry about ever because I, since the first band I was in, I was with, with Nate who obviously has an insane voice. So it's just, it was a non, non issue. something that never even came up. Well, I've, I remember you always looked like you were whispering into the mic at format shows. Like you'd have a mic and you'd be kind of singing, I think, but no, I was faking it. Like that was really, Nate, yeah. Nate forced me to get a microphone and start doing backup vocals in the last, on like the dog problems yes, the, yep. the tours after that. And so, yeah, he would be like, dude, were you even singing? And be like, yeah, <laughs> but, but no, no, yeah, not really. I mean, I, I would, I would try. I did every once in a while if like the show was big enough, I felt like I could hide behind it enough, but I'm just not, I'm not comfortable on stage anyway, but I had a pretty good role in the format being behind those stacked behind those. Yep. On the left side, kind of. Yeah. Stacked hiding. behind that Wurlitzer and the, and the double stack Nord on top of it. It was a good little barrier between me and reality. Yeah. I, I totally get what you're saying. I was in, I was the singer and guitar player in a Scott punk band in high school and awesome. I was able to kind of close my eyes and just roll with it, but you have to do that. And that's what Nate is so good at. I mean, he's, he's just a performer and he's good at just kind of captivating the stage and being that lead presence that a band needs up there. So yeah, he's a pro. So it's, it, that was, you know, it's hard. He's, it's hard to, when you've, when you've had that in your career, it's hard, it's hard to be you. <laughs> right. Well, it's hard to stack up to that and or think yeah. that you could, well, maybe I could start singing too and doing that stuff when you've had him kind of there the whole time. Yeah. I mean, yeah at this point I'm, I'm literally only doing it out of necessity. Um, because yeah, it's just, I feel, I feel like I need, I need to, I need to keep making music and I, I don't, I definitely don't have, um, or didn't for a long time really have the time to start a band. So I would, didn't want to bring anyone else into my insane world. 
so I felt like I had to try to learn. Yeah, I mean, it, and this seems like it's good timing too. Now that you know, digital recording is is what it is. It's so much more available, so you don't have to spend a ton of money to do this. I'm assuming you haven't had to spend a ton of money doing it, even with Steve being involved. But maybe I'm wrong. Um, I haven't spent a ton of money. It's still definitely relatively cheaper than any format record, even the low budget dog problems. This was like the low low budget dog because I I really I had such a good experience doing dog problems in that the next format album we were going to, which ultimately ended up being Nate's first Aim at Ignite, basically. album. Yeah. That we were going to do that with, with Steve and Roger, you know, like all the same people. And Nate got to have that experience again for Aim at Ignite. And I, I always kind of felt like I missed out on that because I really, I was really looking forward to working with Steve again. So but I didn't want to waste his time. You know, like I knew I had, if I was ever going to do it again, I had to be really serious about it and have it be something that I was going to actually give it a, a, a chance, you know? So that's, it took a while to, you know, having a kid and starting this business and all these things before I felt comfortable enough to be able to devote the time that it deserved to actually make an illegit album. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it was, it still costs money to make, to make music, but it's getting a lot easier. So uh, how long has this been going on? I guess, since we're talking about it, it's been almost a year now, which is crazy. Like I started recording, I guess, like I went out for some pre-production at the end of October of last year and then we started recording in November and it, took longer than we'd expected it to. So it was supposed to be, it was supposed to be done in December of last year and it was going to come out in the summer. That was the plan. And then it just didn't get done. Like it, it was sort of like dog problems. It turned into a bigger beast than anticipated. So we were still recording until like February and then Steve had to go on a tour for a while. And so that put mixing off a little bit and then, mixing took a lot longer and then mastering, which usually takes like a day took about a month because the guy who mastered it, um, is just so awesome and cared so much about it and really put a lot of thought into it. So there was a lot of back and forth with that. And so just a lot of things, um, a lot of things just really took longer than expected. And it's, it's done. It's been done now since, you know, July or something or June, June or July. So now it's kind of torture because I'm just sitting on it, but I, I didn't want to just put it out because I, like I said, I wanted this to be, um, I wanted to give it its fair shot. And by the time I got everything done, then I had to find a publicist and do all that stuff. And so by the time all the, by the time the crew was assembled, then it was that fourth quarter interventions thing where it's like, okay, well technically your album could come out in October or November, but that's, you know, it's not the best time. So let's just wait until, until, uh, after the holidays and, and put it out there. So best case scenario, what happens with the record? I mean, are you hoping that you're able to maybe license some songs? And cause if you said you might not be able to tour with it. So in, you know, 2016, when it comes out and you're Sam means running your business, like what are you hoping to the record does? 
really my only expectation is or goal for it is just that I want people to know that it exists. So an act of creation. It's your thing yeah. you birthed into the world. And I just want them to know it's there because everything that I've done up to this point has been like, you know, I'll, I just was like, Oh, I should, I did that movie soundtrack. Maybe I should put it up online. And I like, threw it up online at two in the morning and put one passing Twitter post like, Hey, this is out, you know, to the five people that are still awake right now. <laughs> right. Um, this is going to have a real I, machine is the wrong word, but it's going to have actual a build up to it. There's going to be some promotion. You hire yeah, the publicist. It's, yeah, it's still low key, but I have a publicist. I made a video for it. Um, you know, I'm I'm going to be doing everything I can on the internet. I have some really strange marketing ideas that I'm cooking up that are that are not. Um, they're and they're insane. So I don't know if they're going to work. I don't know if they're going to work. It's just like late night ideas that I'm should be totally scrapping, but I'm so into them for some reason. I'm trying to develop these weird, these weird concepts. I'm guessing it's not going on a Warner brothers tour with the seventh heaven. No, it's not. It's like, yeah. Trying to develop these elaborate games to get people to that, to get people involved. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I really don't have a lot of expectations. You know, I've been really lucky. I have had some success with music licensing. I have a good, um, I have a deal with, with these two awesome women in Australia that own a licensing company and they've, they've sort of been pitching my stuff around the world for like the last three or four years. And, um, you know, so they have the record. I'm hoping they can, help make some of the money back and maybe get me a cereal commercial in the Philippines or something. <laughs> and, uh, that'll be nice. But other than that, really, it's just, yeah, I just want people to know it's there. So if I can get a couple, you know, get picked up on a couple decent music sites or something, and that's really all I want. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. I'm really looking forward to hearing it. Thanks. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, at this point, I'm just dying f- I've just, oh, it's gotta be awful. It's killing me. I'm just wait, counting down the days until I can actually start talking about stuff. Cause I don't, that's the thing too. It's like, I, you know, when you're doing stuff like this, you really have to follow suit and I don't want to throw anyone's job off. That's why it was torture before I even had a publicist. I'm like, there's these things I know I can't say, or I don't want to post a song too early. Cause then they're going to be bummed out if somebody wanted to push it or do something a little with exclusive it or, with yep. it or something. And right. then I just totally ruined that because I put it online in February because I thought it was coming out in the summer. So God, that's gotta I've, be so hard. Yeah. I've been holding out pretty bad. I mean, I've been doing these little teasers, which at this point I feel like are probably getting so obnoxious because everyone's like, dude, when is your record coming out already? <laughs> like it's getting stupid, but it's funny that as much as things have changed in the music industry, something still stays the same. And that's, there's gotta be time. There's gotta be build up. <laughs> Yeah. You got to give people their time. And it's, and yeah, I mean, if anybody is asking for anything, I'm thrilled because it means that they care enough to, to, you know, actually think about it. Oh yeah. For Put sure. Put much thought into it. It's like, yeah, a good publicist is the one that's asking you to play your record. For real, definitely. And I, I feel like we're veering into music geek territory, but I don't really care right now. Cause that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I, I'm actually reminded of when the dog problems was leaked. 
Um, yeah. I, I remember where I was sitting. I was at work. I was in college working on campus at our tech desk or whatever it was. And I saw the post that Nate wrote this really long rambling, like uh, thousands of words. Yeah. That's his thing. His, his letter. And it's this really long thing and I'm reading it. And at the very end, he's like, yeah, so dog problems leaked and uh, here it is. You can buy it right now. I'm like, no way. And I was so excited because I knew the record was coming, but it wasn't coming for a couple months, I think. And uh, I bought it and listened to it a bunch and played it for all my friends and they loved it. And it was, yeah, it's just, there's something about that anticipation of new stuff and from bands you love. I don't know. I, I, it still hasn't gone away for me and I'm 30. So I don't know if you still have that. Oh yeah, I totally do. Yeah. I get really excited when something's going on, but I, I usually don't find out until it's, I feel like I've, yeah, I've screwed up a little bit because I've been talking about it for so long. And not like I have some massive fan base, but there's definitely at least five people that are really angry with me right now. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a couple. I mean, you have like, I, I don't like 4,000 Twitter followers or something. I don't know. I've, yeah, something like that. And you tweeted about I, I it a little bit. So. I don't know how much people are paying attention on Twitter or Instagram these days, but, but yeah, I don't know. Stuff's information's coming soon. By the time this thing comes out, you know, there's probably going to be some some word out there and um it's gonna be fun to finally just get it get it going it's been a long time in the making does your daughter like it she does yeah she she's been my gauge on a couple on a couple things um she always picks the it's like the kids always pick the ones that are sort of the most popular so her idea of what i thought or her idea of what she thought was the the most catchy song lined up with the few that I thought were too. So nice. So she's kind of your, uh, she's my, my my focus group. Nice. That's all you need. How old is she now? She's going to be six in a few weeks. So is she old enough to understand that you're making an album and this is going to be something that other people will be listening to. And like, does she get what it means? Yeah, she gets the, she sort of does. Yeah. But there's, there's some stuff she doesn't like just now I was putting her to bed like minutes before we started talking and she's like, can you lay with me for a little bit? And that's like her thing. She, she, you know, afraid of the dark or something wants me to lay there for a little while. So I'm like, yeah, but not for too long. Cause I got to do, I started to say podcast, but I knew that she would know, have absolutely no idea what that means. <laughs> so I was like, I have to do an interview. And she's like, what's an interview? Like, Oh, you know, like when I'm listening to people talk to each other about, things that they're doing she's like oh yeah i'm like well that's an interview (laughs) (laughs) a teachable moment yeah she's like well can i come down and hear you do it and i'm like no but you can hear when it's done yeah so like little things like that she maybe doesn't know but she gets the band thing like she's seen you know format videos and we've gone to see nate play a few times and uh she gets that whole part of it that's cool that's really cool yeah have you listened to anything cool lately anything cool come out that people should check out music wise uh, yeah. Oh man. This, Putting you on the spot. Sorry. Yeah, I can edit out all this silence. Yeah, here. No, I always draw a blank on this, on this question, but there is, I was listening to, um, well, what's crazy is, okay. So I guess most recently is my parents, I've always been a fan of sixties and seventies music a lot. Um, almost primarily. And I got to a point where I thought, I had heard everything. It's like, there's nothing else cool. Like after I found, you know, like the solo projects of the zombies guys, I was like, that's it. That's as far as you can get. 
Um, but then my parents are, we're having this party for them because they've been married for 50 years now, which is insane. Um, but they were married in 1965. So I started putting together this playlist of all the top songs from that year specifically. And I found some really super cool country music from the sixties that I would have never thought I would like in a million years, but that is like territory I've never ventured into and never even thought to. Um, and I don't even really know who it is cause it's all in this playlist, but 1965 country hits, I guess there's like some Johnny cash and like maybe like Buck Owens. Sure. And a couple, maybe some other people I would recognize their name, but there's just some really cool stuff in there. It's all just like really sparse and has, you know, good melodies and it's not, it's not cheesy in any, I mean, it's, some of it's kind of cheesy, but, uh, it's just good stuff. So that's, that's the newest thing is wanting to dig into that a little deeper and get some of the deep cuts from the, the sixties country music. That's pretty cool. It's fun that you can even do that with old music, this discovery feeling that you get, even though obviously you're not discovering it in the true sense of the word. It's, it's new to you. So yeah. It's I mean, fresh. And, and like the hits are like things that I, I've heard, but hearing them, I think I had found some like 1965 country hits specifically. So like having them all in one place grouped and hearing them as like, this is, this was the culture of country music in 1965. This was the sound. I, it clicked a little differently than just hearing like King of the Road on an oldie station. There's context to it, which you don't get with singles. Yeah. Which you, which I never really, yeah. So that's, that's something I want to get into a little bit more, but that's pretty cool. I, I thought of asking this question cause I, um, it was related to what we talked about earlier where you, know, you go to a show and you see an opener. Cause I, uh, saw a guy named Noah Gunderson. I don't know if you're familiar. He came into town. Yeah. I did his merch actually for a while. Really? Oh, that's until, awesome. Yeah. He's kind he, of blown up. Yeah. Until he signed his, his 360 deal and I lost him. Oh, he's got one of those. Oh, yeah. Man. Um, so I was at this Noah Gunderson show and a band called Ivan and Alyosha opened for him. I don't know if you've heard of them before. No. They are from Seattle and I'm in love. Like their, their records are amazing. They are I, poppy Beatles-esque. I mean, I think you'd actually really dig them. Um, and you should check them out. It's based on, I think, characters from a Dostoevsky book. That's where it comes from. Ivan yeah. and Alyosha. But, cool. uh, yeah, their, uh, their record, it's all just pretend, which just came out this year. It's, it's outstanding. And so I just, I had that same feeling we've been talking about this, wow, okay, this, this is a band I can get into and I want to check out all their records and I want to see them when they come back and, um, them supporting Noah Gunnarsson on this tour. And you could say it wasn't even a great fit because the music styles are really different, but they made a fan out of me. So, you know, it's something to be said for that. That's awesome. And I just thought of somebody else too that I like is this girl, uh, Phoebe Bridgers. Have you heard of her? No, I haven't. She, I don't think she has much out. I think she maybe even just has this little EP out, but um, she just did a record and put it out on Ryan Adams label, Paxam, I think it's called. Oh, okay. And, um, yeah, I started, I think it was just one of those things where it like popped up on like an Instagram feed or something. I was like, who's this person with Ryan Adams? That's weird. Um, but then I checked it out and it's really good. It's just like really mellow, kind of like singer songwriter, acoustic country, you know, almost like all, it's, it's like Ryan Adams ish. Sure. 
like kind of Americana. I don't know even how to describe it. It's just kind of like sad. Yeah, like kind of sad. I don't know. I don't even really know how to exactly explain it either, but it's just, it's good. And she has a really cool voice. I've been really into female singers lately too, a lot. I mean, I always have been, but even more so. I will have to check her out. I've got a, uh, got a note here. Yeah, she's good. And this other girl, uh, Jenny O is really super great, but she, I don't think she's put out anything in a year or so, but her last, her EP and her last record is so good. Okay, I've got these uh, two taps up in my browser, so I'll check it out. And uh, speaking of female singers, have you heard uh, the new Bleachers thing? Terrible Things something volume terrible, two? Terrible Thrills. Terrible Terrible Thrills volume two, yes. Have you checked no, that out yet? I haven't I haven't had a chance to listen to that yet, but I I heard about it. It's really good. Uh it's really good. It's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, I didn't even see who all was on there, but I'm sure it's cool. Sarah Borales is on there. Um who else is on? I mean it's just it's really, really interesting that he was yeah, able to pull this off. I heard the first one that he did with Steel Train a while back. I think that's why this is volume two. Cause he yes, did. you got it. Yeah, Carly oh. Rae Jepsen is on a song. Uh, Sia is on there. Uh, Natalie Maines is on there from Dixie Oh, wow, Jokes, right? I love Natalie Maines. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's She's great. Charlie XCX. Like, I, I kind of feel like you and Jack maybe are kindred spirits a little bit because he seems like a guy who's also just never still. Like, he's always doing something. It seems yeah. to me anyway. Yeah, I think I've maybe noticed some similar uh, quirks that we have, for sure. He's a good guy. Yeah, I thought that Bleacher's record was fantastic. That's uh, pretty cool. So, Yeah, I'm super happy for him. I mean, he's got a lot going on. It's great. Have you listened to the Ryan Adams 1989 album yet? Uh, I haven't listened to the whole thing, but I've listened to, yeah, I've listened to probably half of it. Because I assume that you've got some Taylor Swift in the house every now and again. Yeah, I actually love Taylor Swift. She's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think I have every once in a while I'll get in these weird, like, you know, late at night Instagram vortexes where, uh, you know, like one of her things will pop up on the Explore page or something. And I'll just go through like the last four weeks of her thing. I'm kind of fascinated by her. I don't know. I don't even know why. But she's just she's very... I mean, she's super talented and those songs are just so good. They will worm their way into your brain and never leave. Yeah. Like it's not my thing. Like the production, like modern pop production makes me cringe even, but I am still very able to recognize a really good song when I hear one and then she's got a lot. (laughs) Well, that's what's so cool. I think about the 1989 project by Ryan Adams is that, he's showing that the songs have legs on their own yeah, done in a totally sh- different style for sure. And that's, yeah, we used to, we used to do that with punk songs too. Like we would pick out, it's like, you know, this no effects song has an awesome melody. Like if you, if you slow it down and play it like acoustic, it's like, this is such a good song. And I think that's why I liked a lot of that, that stuff. It's just, I'm, a good melody like really just gets me in like a good voice too, obviously. But I just, I love, there's nothing I love more than just like a solid hook on something. I'm with you. That's awesome. That's great. And I, I can totally let you go here. I've kept you for a really long time, but I did have to ask, um, did you see that Limbeck is uh, re-releasing Hi everything's great on vinyl? Yeah, I did. And, and it comes with, Hey, everything's fine, which I think you are on. I, th- are- I think I am. Yeah. I and I, I, I know Nate is on that. You can hear him singing, but I'm sure you're in the background or something. Yeah. I, I, we think we did that at my house. Seriously? Like, 
yeah, I think we did some, it was supposed to be like we were, wasn't that the thing where it's like, it was like a live thing? Yes, exactly. I think, yeah, I think we did some, I think we cheated it, did some overdubs on that at my house. No way. I we kind of like, wondered about that. Cause we were on tour. So I think, well, cause I know we, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm confusing it with something else. Cause we did this other song together that ended up being on like the B-sides and rarities thing. And I know we did that at my house and I, I think we, I don't think, yeah, I think that's what we did at my house. I think we maybe did the overdubs for, for that though, like at, at Rob's house after a show in LA or something. That's pretty awesome. I mean, I, yeah. I didn't think everybody could have been in the same place at the same time, but it, it sounds awesome. It's super fun. And I think most everybody was except for us. I think we just, <laughs> cause we were such good friends with those dudes and still, but yeah, actually, believe it or not, um, you were the second person I thought of for this podcast. The first one is Patrick Carey because he's an art director at Volcom now. Yeah. And uh, he actually reached out or he responded to my email and he agreed to do it. So we're going to chat sometime in the near future. Oh, that's great. I can't wait to hear that. Oh, it'd, I, it'd be awesome. I think he's, he always seemed like a really super nice guy at shows and stuff. And oh, he's like the nicest person on the earth. I, that whole band, like they just seem like such good dudes and just happy. They are. I mean, they are, yeah, they are like the most genuine, nice people. I mean, I, I vividly remember this. I I can close with this. It was a show at station four in in St. Paul here. And it was you guys and steel train. I think we're on the same tour. And, um, (laughs) I think Nate was in a bad mood or something, but during your set, somebody yelled out first single or something. And he's kind of like, I will play it when we play it, you know, whatever. Um, but then during the Limbeck set, you know, they're kind of, you know, dinking around on stage and somebody yelled out Julia. And then I think it was Rob who said, all right, we'll play Julia, you know, just that way that he has about it and just smiling. And then they just launch into it. And it was just really funny. (laughs) Yeah. They're awesome. I mean, that was, that was definitely the best part about being on tour was taking them and steel train and Ruben's accomplice out constantly just creating this awesome crew of people. Yeah. Those connections that we talked about that it seems like it paid off in various ways for you. Yeah. I mean, that was just so much fun. Like every night was just so fun. We all got along so well. It's great. That's pretty awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time. I uh, did not expect to take this much time, uh, but it's been amazing having you on the show. Uh, I'm really excited editing it and uh, (laughs) put it all together. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me. Sorry you have to listen to this again. No, no, no. It's it's gonna be great. <laughs> yeah. this is long. Oh wow, I just look at the counter. Yeah, three hours. Yeah, head. that was not my intention at all. But uh <laughs> again, you're really great to talk to you and I will definitely let you know when it's up. And um yeah. Cool. Yeah, how many of these have you done? This is only my second, believe it or not. So I hope I did okay. Yeah, you were great. Who was the first one? It was actually um a coworker of mine. His wife does uh this letterpress shop out of Lawrence, Kansas. She was a graphic designer beforehand and she started this company called Rough House Art. They do greeting cards and they all have a retail store in Lawrence as well. So I thought, well, this would be a good topic. Well, it can be like a practice, you know, there's less pressure and everything. So I I did that and edited it and thought, okay, this is something I can do. That's cool, man. Well, good so, luck with it. Yeah, thanks. I I think Patrick would be a great guest though he needs to respond to my last email i don't know what's going on there but uh yeah no you gotta you gotta get patty cakes yeah i'll tell him you say hi (laughs) all right cool thanks again sam appreciate it thanks dude for more information about sam means upcoming solo album 10 songs to be released on january 22nd 2016 visit his website sammeansmusic.com you can also follow him on twitter at sam means or find him on facebook also under the name sam means for more information about hello merch visit hellomerch.com
buy some cool stuff. They have lots of awesome records, t-shirts, and other great band merchandise. I'm sure that they support and sell merch for a band you love. Thanks for listening. Thanks again to Electric Pulp for sponsoring this episode of U-Turn. To get started on your company's next project, contact them at electricpulp.com or write them a note at hello at electricpulp.com.